This is the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. Welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we're your hosts, James Lee. And Caitlin Deal. And today, our guest this afternoon is the president of the ministry consulting firm, Ministry Architects, and co-founder and permissionary of Ministry Incubators. He has authored and co-authored a handful of books, including appropriately titled Sustainable Youth Ministry, Family-Based Youth Ministry, and soon to be released, Reimagining Young Adult Ministry. Right. <laughs> he's also a speaker of numerous workshops and seminars, and he's coming to speak at the upcoming Scent Conference here in Greater New Jersey in November. Um, we are so excited to have you, Mark DeVries. Thank you. Good to be with y'all. Mark, you are the president of Ministry Architects. Now, this is an organization that used to be called Youth Ministry Architects. That's right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. tell us kind of your personal journey. You're going from being in ministry to then starting yeah. Youth Ministry Architects, and then that becoming just Ministry Architects in 2012. Yeah. Well, I was serving, I served a church as a youth pastor in Nashville, Tennessee for uh, 28 years as a youth pastor, which is, you know, a long time for a youth pastor. So I actually stepped down from that role at uh, 57 years old. Oh, wow. So I, so I had been there, finished seminary, uh, went to serve there, but about halfway through that, I moved. The church was gracious enough to let me move to a part-time role. So I, I moved to a part-time role, not exactly knowing what the other part-time of my life would look like. But uh, a lot of youth ministries, as you all know, get stuck pretty easily. So, or they ride this roller coaster of they have a superstar youth director, and then a sacrificial lamb, and a sacrificial lamb, and then a superstar, and um, and so out of that experience and working with lots of different churches in that same cycle and just they just couldn't quite ever get out of the starting gates um mm. so we were looking for something that lasts so what's youth ministry that lasts look like which is sort of how we got to sustainable youth ministry uh 10 years into that process churches that we had worked with in youth ministry said to us hey would you do this same thing with children's ministry Hmm. And we said, we don't really know anything about children's ministry. And they said, we think it'll work. And so... <laughs> <laughs> so it was more like other churches were kind of the, telling you they that said, this might apply they said, to other do ministries. The same, just do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we tried it with children's ministry, and sure enough, about 80% of it was transferable. For, you know, so for example, recruiting oh, wow. volunteers is recruiting volunteers. It's the same process. Or managing and tending to your database is managing and tending to your database or or getting your website up and running is right so the the fundamental systems tend to be the same as that happened we were we said oh we'll, we'll be children's ministry architects and young adult ministry architects and mid-level judicatory architects and right, and it <laughs> architects it, of all ages it just turned out ministry <laughs> architects made a lot more sense right so uh, for the last maybe five years or so we have been we've kind of broadened our our emphasis, but but truthfully, I come at this really with a you know youth ministry has been my calling all of my life. Mm. So, what is you know the consulting firm Ministry Architects do? Well, part of what we've observed in in these now, you know, I think it's almost eight hundred congregations or churches or uh, conferences or dioceses or schools that we've worked with, is that the process of creating change is a little bit predictable. 
And uh, hmm. there, there are certain things we can do to catalyze change. Yeah. You know, in your book, uh, Sustainable Youth Ministry, we have the book right here. Our team all read the book. We love it. It's a, it's a fantastic book. It challenged me a lot because I come from youth ministry background. I was a youth pastor for about four years. Um, and in the book, you compare looking for a youth pastor as compulsive gambling, <laughs> right? You say that right. there's this, uh, like, you know, more more passion, more this, more that, more ideas, more zeal, when really... Um, what they need is to see what they have and to make it work. Mm. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah. You know, why do you think churches get stuck so often when it comes to this? You know, when churches have seen they've had one of these superstar youth directors, they'll stay hooked on that on that crack forever, mm. right? And they'll roll the dice. And what we say is the difference, there's a difference between investing and gambling. Both of them can make you rich, but one of them's a little more predictable. And we like to say to churches, stop rolling the dice on finding the next great superstar. And as if that superstar is going to stay around forever. Right, right. Let's build a system, build a process so that whoever you hire, uh, we just say, get a moderately gifted person with a solid dance floor underneath them. They'll do just fine. Wow. Get a superstar with a lousy dance floor underneath them and they'll crash and burn every time. And uh, like in the book, you said like they'll they'll break their le their leg, yeah. and yeah. assume something's wrong with them and never dance again, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's my daughter's a dancer, so it's a <laughs> okay. that's a sweet little metaphor. But not only do they leave youth ministry, but they leave ministry altogether, and often leave the church altogether. Right. And so it's a, you know, this is a pretty, um, you know, in many ways a very personal thing for me as I see. You know, folks that I have known and loved with a real call and gifts for ministry who are no longer doing ministry because they fell through that broken dance floor. Mm. So you touched base a little bit about, you know, how a lot of churches make the mistake of, you know, trying to find that big superstar. Um, how, you know, how can churches kind of get past that? Like, what are the first, like, three things that they can start doing now to make sure that doesn't happen? Like you said, people falling through that dance floor. Like, what can they do now to make sure that doesn't happen? Mm. Well, some, a lot of it, Caitlin, is just a mind change. They need a plan beyond asking their hire to come in and, and dream their dream. So when, when I was first hired at my church uh, back in 1986, um, <laughs> my, my pastor said, essentially, dream your dream, bring your vision, whatever you want to do, we'll support that vision. Uh-oh. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I, I was so, that was such a siren song. I should have lashed myself to the mast. I, I believed it. And so I brought my vision, right? And the, the problem is, as a youth pastor, it's not my job to import my vision on the congregation so that when I leave, they have to get a new one. Mm. It's my job to discern the call and the unique call and vision that that congregation has wow. and to steward that vision for them. Right. And so it's an, it's often abdication of leadership when a church or senior pastor says, you just bring your vision. Hmm. And, you know, a lot of times we, particularly young youth pastors, we are delighted to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't tell me what the church wants. I'll tell you what we're going to do because mm -hmm. I've read some books. But then another disparity there is, is the, because now we're taking the vision process Away, not away, but it's not necessarily the youth pastor that's vision making the vision for the church, but discerning the vision that's already in the church. But some might see that as, well, the youth pastor is getting paid, 
and the church is the church members are not getting paid. So the youth pastors, that's their job to right. create vision and to instill vision and to pursue vision. Like, isn't that their job? They're getting paid for it. The rest of the church members aren't getting paid on Sunday. What do you say to that? Well, it's always good to go to the Bible, right? <laughs> uh, Ephesians four, uh, all these gifts were distributed mm-hmm. f- for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Mm. So sometimes I say, listen, if you just want to work with kids, don't be a youth pastor for heaven's sake. Your job as a youth pastor is to equip other people to do the ministry. Mm, Um, I figure if the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings could handle 12 in his youth group, we're a little (laughs) bit arrogant if we think we can handle 50 or 60 or 200. And so the the task of the the youth pastor is to to catalyze and equip other people and to, to bring about clarity of vision, building the processes, and then dispatch them to the real delight of doing ministry. Mm-hmm. Somebody said um, uh, the, the leader's job is to get all the distractions out of the way so everybody else can do their job, mm. right? So what is the definition of a sustainable ministry? What we are talking about is um, a ministry that can, can go from one point staff person to another without missing a beat. Mm. Uh, and in fact, can gain in momentum in a transition period. So that the losing of a staff person is not a death knell for a ministry. It's just it's just a natural part of the cycle of ministry. Wow. When you think about the resources out there, there are tons and tons and tons of resources for how do you do a program for kids? Mm. How do you do relational ministry? All those things. There's almost zero information out there about how you get actually get more kids to show up to your meeting, and that's about the only thing you get evaluated by as a youth pastor. But we don't want to talk about it. It's like the dirty little secret. So, Mark, how do you get more people to come to your meetings? Well, um, there are very deliberate. There just are very deliberate processes. Okay. So, so for example, yeah, if you've got a business. You're going to spend a third of your money and your staff and your time on sales and marketing. Right. If you've got a church, you're going to spend 0.01% of your, you'll have a communications department. What that means is we're going to talk to ourselves. Understand the difference? (laughs) Communications. Wow. We're sending emails and newsletters to all the people who are already in. Mm. If, if a business ran that way and never reached out to anybody outside of their current audience, right. they would be dead. We have to acknowledge that church is no longer in the flow of life. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not the norm of society anymore. Right. Not, it right. used to just be Sundays where that's, what, that's, that's where the current yeah. of the culture was going. That's not where it is. But we are still complaining about the fact that people are not committed. You know, if parents were committed... The kids would be here. Yeah. The sports <laughs> is a big thing, too. I know parents are like, how could they, you know, all the kids go to sports now on Sundays and not bring their kids yeah. to church? And there's yeah. a lot of pushback. Yeah, but that. then sports is, it's not like a bad thing. It's important, you know? Mm-hmm. They're learning teamwork. They're mm-hmm. learning um, competition. They're exercising. I think sports yeah. is great, but yeah. it just happens to be on Sundays, right? There's, but but there's so nobody, how do you choose as a parent? There's nobody, there's nobody helping the church to think through we we need to create a way of doing ministry congruent with the new reality mm-hmm. that people are living in. Right. 
that's been you know one of the huge gaps that we see in so many churches is that we refuse to acknowledge that we're going to be evaluated by how many kids are showing up. Right. So you <laughs> said, uh, so you're, you're, are you suggesting perhaps a larger portion of the church budget should go towards marketing, if you will? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say, um, and many, many churches are now moving to having what's called an engagement pastor. Mm. And so engagement the, pastor. Yeah. So oh, like, okay. so instead of, you know, we've used these categories of the pastor for discipleship and the pastor for, and this is how do we help people engage in terms of stewardship? How do we help them engage who are no longer, how do we bring new people in? How do we help people engage as volunteers? Um, and none of that was really necessary hmm. back when the, the women of the church kind of organized it all. That's true. That's true. Now let's kind of go back to the dancing, the dancer and the dance floor uh, metaphor. What does it take for a church that had a broken dance floor for many, many years? Mm. Practically, Very literally, practical, yeah. how to rebuild and have Absolutely. a nice dance floor. What is what? Yeah. What are some of the factors that make a dance floor nice? In oh, great. Yeah. So um, we like to use just talk in terms of systems. So. In the same way that the body, very organic, it's nothing, you know, it's not a robot. Mm -hmm. This living body of ours is a system of systems. So Mm -hmm. 13 or 14 systems of the body, you know, the neurological system, the cardiac system, right? All of those. In the same way, the church is, is very similar, but we have to build those systems rather than expect them. And most churches just expect them to be there, Mm. right? Weeks. We're so surprised that there's not a visitor follow-up system. <laughs> you visitor know? follow-up system. Okay. That you know that'd be that'd be a great example. So, what's the what's the very clear process? How many volunteers do we need? Um, what what happens on their first visit? What happens on their third visit? Right. We don't have an, an MIA follow-up system. Mm. When somebody's gone for two months and you don't see them, what triggers what to make something happen? Right. Oh, I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and we oh, just sort of depend. Yeah, we just sort of depend on the pastor thinking about it, or somebody in the church mm-hmm. caring enough. The hospitality system, the the communication system, the outreach system. What's your mission system? What's your discipleship system? What's the path you want to see from birth to adulthood? What's the discipleship path we want to take people on? Mm. Um, uh, the database system. What are we doing to update? You know, our contact information. Um, businesses live and die by their database and yeah. and when you talk about databases in churches they look at you they almost almost always the answer is yeah we're really not happy with we're kind of thinking about changing as if getting a new software is going to help right it's, you just got to get the data write it down on a three by five card and have a box of them that works better than having a program you're not using right. and most people want to get rid of their software program because because they're not spending any time taking care of it. Mm. So so we actually have a document which we'd be happy to send to anybody that would want it if you email me at mark at ymarchitects.com. Mm. Um, we've got a document called the 17 Systems that dis- just describes what are these fundamental systems you got to have in place. You know, as, as you're talking, the analogy that's coming to my mind is like this is like almost like a marriage. You know, when I got, before I got married, you know, when you're dating, there's, there's the passion, the fire, and the spontaneity, and you just... Careful where you tread. No kidding. <laughs> I feel like Julie listens to this. Julie listens to this podcast. And, uh, but after you get married, you know, you go through ups and downs. Yeah. But in a marriage, 
I made a commitment to love my wife. And sometimes it means making sure we have date night once a week, right? right? It's kind of creating these systems in a way to make sure that we stay together. We, we are, we, it, it help. it makes yeah. builds a relationship, right? Right. It may not be as spontaneous or as romantic, let's say, but I would say it makes it all the more romantic. Yeah. Um, so when a church first gets started, there's a lot of spontaneity and it's mm, kind of cool, but, great image, but yeah. then you do need what some might argue kind of semi-boring, but very practical and realistic systems to make sure that you're keeping up with everybody. We wouldn't call it boring in a marriage, would we? No. 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 Like, uh, <laughs> what's a better word? <laughs> uh, intentional. Intentionality. But there's so much intentionality, yeah. There's a difference between falling in love and climbing into love. Mm. And we fall into love in this. So you go to camp and you have this glorious experience at camp. Your heart is strangely warmed and all kind of stuff is happening. Mm. You feel this call on your life. Right. And then you have to live into the call. Oh my gosh, that's a climb sometimes. And we can either say, oh, God must have left me. Or we can say, this is the journey to which I've been called. Um, But I do think there's this, especially in youth ministry, there's this sort of romantic notion that it always ought ought to be, you know, fireworks and whistles and bells. And the truth is, we're gonna get more fireworks and whistles and bells if we work these processes. You're gonna mm. be more in love with your wife if you work these very disciplined processes. Right, right. Like, uh, I'm gonna wash the dishes tonight. Right, right. Right? <laughs> Those sort of habits create romance and create the passion. And without it, everything tightens up. And then you got- For you got the record, nothing. I do dishes every every night. Wow. Every single night. Well, you can hold me uh, to that. We're gonna. We're going to have a call in right now <laughs> to confirm that. <laughs> you know, Bruno Mars is always saying, I'll, I'll we'll catch a grenade for you. I'll jump in front of a train for you. But well, will you do the dishes for you? That's that's right. real romances in there. Yeah. Right, right, right. Come on. There you go. That's right. In the upcoming Scent Conference, you are giving a workshop titled Making Change, Making Change Stick. What can someone who's registering for this mm. workshop uh, expect to learn? Wow. Um, so at this, at this workshop, we really hope to equip folks that come to be able to, to feel like, oh, it's not a mystery. It's not a roll of the dice. There are, there are very predictable ways of sort of transitioning a culture um, from one thing to another, from being a, a church that has no volunteers to a church that has more volunteers than they can handle, mm-hmm. right? It, that's, a, that's a mindset shift that that we really can architect as leaders in the, in the church. Mm. And so we're looking for ways not just to create sort of a single event that gives a result, but a series of, of processes that build on each other and sort of eventually multiply. In- incremental change that produces exponential change eventually. Mm. You were kind of getting into it, but can you just first... Uh clarify the definition of a sticky change as opposed to a not sticky change. What is a sticky change? And then what can a church leader or a pastor that's listening right now, mm. what's one thing that they can do right now to start making sticky change? Oh, so good. So good. Well, a kid goes to camp and they have this experience, but they there's no community infrastructure and and they are not prepared to do anything with that. And often that becomes like in Jesus' parable, the, the you know, plant that shoots up and then dies, right? Mm. Um, we're looking for change that produces 
30, 60, 100 fold, mm. right? We're looking for this long term. Um, and, and the truth is, most of us would rather have a shortcut. We'd rather have 100 kids here this week right. and 30 kids a year from now than have 30 kids now and 100 kids a year from now. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because that's what you get graded on, how right. quick it could grow. Right, right. And often that growth is not real growth. It's just inflation, mm. right? <laughs> right? It just right. expands and expands and expands until it pops, and then you go, oh, there's really nothing, there's really nothing there except air. Wow. Um, so in, in terms of the second half of the question, um, you know, a pastor or, or a leader of any kind looking to create sustainable change, we, we really believe we've got to trust the process. There is this slow work of God, mm. and there is a, um, you know, we often use the image of a bamboo farmer. Mm. You know, if, you, if you're shooting yeah. for growing bamboo, you come back six months later, you got nothing. Come back a year later, you got nothing. You come back two years later, you got nothing. And if you understand bamboo, you're just not freaked out about it. Right. Now, right. a lot of times in the church, we get so freaked out. And then, man, I just hear so many bitter pastors talk about, you know, in my church, they don't volunteer. And, and you know, they complain about wanting something. And then they get, and they don't want it. Right? Sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> and, then, and then we... And then we're surprised that we get what comes out of our mouth. Wow. The tongue is a very tongue is a fire, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you trust the process, I have a, a youth worker in Knoxville that I've been working with the last uh, last few months, and uh, she's just done a marvelous job. And when she got there, they said to her, um, you know, nobody here really volunteers. I know you've got some big dreams, but you just need to understand people here don't volunteer. Mm. And and her she didn't say this out loud, but her response in her head and her response to us was, "Watch me." Mm. Mm. And here she is, six months into her new position, and she she doesn't have all the volunteers she wants, but everybody's just amazed that with half of what she wanted, they think that was impossible. How in the world did you do that, right? Wow. Yeah. So when you know how the process works, you relax. You bring your non-anxious, playful presence. And you, in your, in your heart, you say, "Watch me," mm. or "Watch God." Right? This, yeah. this is going to happen. Like a farmer says, "Watch what comes up." I've done this before. Mm. If I plow and I plant and I fertilize, it, it's going to grow. Mm. And yeah, sometimes do the, the storms come? Sure. But by and large, when you know how the process works, you just relax, and that feels like a key piece of being a self-differentiated leader where we're not defined by today's success. We're just going to be faithful to do the thing that we believe is going to be an investment that will pay off further down the road, mm. which is hard for us, right? We, we'd like to have a payoff today. Mm. Yeah, it's tricky. Slow change. <sighs> slow. The slow work of God. That's true. That's true. I do think the the next frontier for the church is to learn change change management mm. and um, how to faithfully help individuals, congregations, um, conferences move through uh, the obstacles. And yeah. let's just be clear. You, you, you ask a group of people, how many of you want to see change? Everybody will raise their hand. Right. And if you say, how many of you want to change? Everybody will look at their shoes, right? Mm. We we all want we all want to see change, but 
changing ourselves means we're going to lose something we used to have. Right. And so it's a very anxiety-producing process. And, you know, Ed Friedman in his book Failure of Nerves says, uh, if you are going to lead, which means you're going to lead through change, um, you will always be sabotaged. There will always be people, there will always be forces that will uh, try to keep that change from happening. It's mm. just everybody wants to go back to equilibrium. Right. So if you're being sabotaged, you're doing something right. That's that's what Friedman <laughs> That's exactly what Friedman says. Mm. He says sabotage is a sign that you're doing something right. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So that's the that's the ending point. Let that land all be, the jet. You should right all be there. sabotagers yeah. uh, or be sabotaged. If you're being sabotaged, Sabotage-y. you're doing something right. Sabotagees. Yeah. Sabotage. All right. Well, Mark, thank you for being on the podcast. We're so excited. We have one last question that we ask all our guests. Okay. It's a special last question. Um, Kaylin, you want to do the honors? Sure. So if you can pick a private, um, we're the uncovered dish and we're Matha, so we like to eat. Mm-hmm. So if you can pick one dish uh, to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no variations, what mm. would that one dish be? Rest of your life. One, well, one just dish. one dish. Just one. Yeah. What a great question. <laughs> Well, um, what are you thinking of? I and mean, we can, we'll decide. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thinking of a Big Mac. <laughs> That's one dish. I think I, I would, I think I'd eat a Big Mac. Big Mac. Yeah. That's your protein or veggies. It's got, it's got <laughs> it's everything you'd ever want. Dairy. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the cheese on there. A Two all beef patties. Fully balanced meal. A big <laughs> McDonald's Big Mac. Right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next, well, when we see you in uh, November, maybe we'll. We'll bring you a Big Mac. Bring a Big Mac or something. There you go. That'll be, oh. that'll be a party. Oh, that would be so magical. All right, everyone, once again, that was Mark DeVries of uh, Ministry Architects. You can find out more uh, about them at ministryarchitects.com. They have a lot of cool resources there. They not only consult uh, ministries to build sustainable ministries, but they have uh, the Sustainable Ministry Podcast. They have video resources and all kinds of resources to help you begin making sticky change. Also... If you like what you heard today, um, Mark will be speaking again at the SENT conference. That's November 11th uh, at Aldersgate United Methodist Church in East Brunswick, New Jersey. You can register today at gnjumc.org. Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and we will see you in November. Thank you. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Halloween. Happy Thanksgiving, and Merry Christmas. All of the the above. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. tuning in today's podcast if there are any topics you like us to uncover or any comments for us you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org we will be posting a new podcast every other wednesday so if you enjoyed what you heard be sure to give us a five-star rating on itunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes we'll talk to you soon how are we sent into this world how do we connect with new people How do we connect with new communities who aren't even interested in church? What does this mean for me, my ministry, my call? SENT Conference 2017 is a one-day conference taking place on November 11th at Aldersgate United Methodist Church in East Brunswick, New Jersey, that will send you and your team into the world to create meaningful ministry with new people. Join the conversation with storytellers Danielle Fanfare and Marlon Hall of Full Four Films, changemaker Mark DeVries from Ministry Incubators, organizer Christian Kuhn from Urban Village Church, 
theologian Eric Barreto from Princeton Theological Seminary, and Pastor Michelle Matthews from the Kingstown Communion. Register today at www.gnjumc.org. Let's go together.